It is so good to see all of you here. If this, if this is not where you normally are on Sundays, let me tell you a bit about us as a church. We really do like each other. And we love it when people come to visit. So this time is part of our worship every Sunday. We stop in the middle and greet one another because we really do love to worship God together. So thank you so much uh, for this wonderful time. You can be seated. Go ahead and find your seats. And there will be time after at the end of the service to continue visiting. We won't uh, send you home immediately. Uh, you can still linger, uh, but we'll, we'll have more time to visit uh, at the end of our service. We're at the portion of our worship where we try to look at a portion of Scripture and ask uh, God to illuminate us through His Word, uh, for His Holy Spirit to really make this Word come alive in our hearts and be a living Word. When we talk about the Bible being the Word of God, being inspired by God, it isn't just that God dictated the Bible, but that in the message of the Bible, God works in conjunction with it in such a way by His Holy Spirit that as we hear its words, He moves in our hearts, and it becomes a living Word in our lives. Uh, so it's an important part of our worship. Let me start out by saying life is full of disappointments. We thought we were going to get that job, and we didn't. We thought this relationship would end in happily ever after, and it didn't. We expected our child to excel and thrive, to do great in life, and we find that our child struggles. We expected God to make life easy, and he didn't. Have you ever considered that we may have it backwards? Could it be that it's actually God who has better cause to be frustrated and disappointed with me? Please join me as we listen in on two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let me read through the passage and then we'll go back and look at it. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to him, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This story begins with a very sad scene. There are two disciples of Jesus who are making this uh, road from uh, Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about seven miles away. And uh, they are mourning because uh, they've been there for Passover and they were there uh, with this wonderful expectation of who Jesus was and what he was about to do. And we're told in, the, in Luke's gospel here that uh, as they were walking along the road, they were talking to each other about all that had happened and surely they were rehearsing that final crazy week of Jesus' life where he re- enters Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah of the king to come who would come riding in on the foal of a donkey and how the whole city had received him as the promised Messiah with palm leaves and acclamations of Hosanna save us and uh, glory to God in the highest the promised Messiah has arrived and how quickly that turned into a weird week of every religious leader trying to publicly challenge Jesus and try to trip him up and very clearly uh, in opposition to Jesus the whole week long these weird confrontations where Jesus embarrassed every single one of them time after time and then that Thursday night where in the cover of darkness the chief priests and the Sanhedrin arranged to have Jesus arrested on trumped up charges and they brought him in in the middle of the night and rushed him through overnight so that by dawn on Friday they had him in front of Pilate and they were able to push through and force Pilate to have Jesus crucified and by noon he was on the cross before anybody had figured out what was going on. Before the sun went down he was dead. They're talking about all of this and about how they've waited for the Sabbath and now it's Sunday and what do we do now that Jesus is dead? They're walking along the road, uh, surely not at a brisk pace, 
I'm sure that the events of the week weigh heavily on their shoulders and they're just plodding along, but it takes a while to walk seven miles. And as they're walking and discussing all of this, Jesus himself draws near to them. They're kept from recognizing him. Occasionally we find this in the Bible where uh, the agent is not specified. Uh, we call this the divine passive. When something keeps them, actually someone keeps them from recognizing Jesus, but we're not told explicitly uh, who it is that's keeping them from recognizing Jesus. But it's, it, you, you understand that this is divine intervention. There's something miraculous about this, that Jesus is going to join them. These are disciples of Jesus. They know Jesus. But somehow, uh, even though they are able to understand every word he's saying, they're able to carry on a conversation with him, they are able to share the journey with him and converse along the way, they are kept from the recognition that he is Jesus. I think there's, it's simply a, a miraculous thing that God was doing in that moment. And he walks alongside them and says, what are y'all talking about? And I love how Luke gives us this visual and they stood still looking sad I mean they're walking along when Jesus says what are y'all talking about they stop they stop walking and and they're just dejected it's they had hoped they thought Jesus was everything they had been looking for and waiting for and expecting and for centuries now six centuries the Jews had been under one empire after another and they were longing for the day the Messiah would come and liberate them and redeem them and rescue them from oppression they thought that's who Jesus was and now he's dead where do we go from here so they stop there, just looking dejected. And then they answer, one of them, and we're given his name, Cleopas. We don't know who the other person was. Was it his wife? Was it another uh, uh, male disciple? We're not told her, the name, so it's impossible to know. But Cleopas and somebody else, perhaps his wife, perhaps somebody else, um, but Cleopas is the one who speaks up and he seems a little irritated that Jesus doesn't recognize the, the horror of this moment. Are you the only person in Jerusalem who is clueless about what just went down? How can you not know what we're talking about? All that's happened in these days and Jesus feigns ignorance. What, what things? What are, why don't you tell me what you think happened? Jesus often does that, by the way. He, he asks us to lay before him what we think we understand. So they respond, and now it says both. They said to him, uh, they talk, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, and they give their estimation. He's a, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, a, a spokesperson of God's who communicated the word of God. And yet... Our own leaders, our own rulers, our own people delivered him up to be condemned to death and they had him crucified. The most humiliating form of capital punishment ever devised by humans where you strip a person naked and nail them to wood and leave them exposed in front of the world until they die of shame and exposure and dehydration. 
That's how he died. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We thought this was it. It was going to change everything, and now he's dead. Their hopes are absolutely shattered. Yeah. And that's not the end of it. Here's third day since all this happened, and some of our women said that they were at the tomb this morning, and he wasn't there, and there were some angels telling him that he's risen from the dead, but even though some guys went out there to check it out, and yes, the tomb was empty, uh, they couldn't confirm anything because nobody saw him. They seem to think that all this hullabaloo this morning uh, really amounts to nothing. Uh, Now, from the events of that morning, there's a lot of back and forth at the tomb, women, and then Simon Peter and John run back there, and Mary Magdalene somehow ends up by herself, and eventually she, I think, is the first one to encounter the risen Lord Jesus there in the garden. So clearly, Cleopas and whoever was with him set out before Mary Magdalene got back to tell them she had seen Jesus. Uh, But they're walking along, and all they know is this this hullabaloo of uh, hysterical women. You know how emotional women can be. I'm sure that was in a patriarchal society. That's probably how they dismissed it. Um, And now Jesus responds to them. And he doesn't. He doesn't seem terribly compassionate. Uh, and, and he doesn't seem terribly moved by their sadness and their plight. In fact, he rebukes them. Oh, foolish ones. You foolish people. Slow of heart to believe. Isn't that our problem with God? That we are not only foolish, not only are we bent on foolishness and folly and self-destructive ways of living. Not only is that the bent of our heart, but we are so slow to trust God. It, 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 God moves heaven and earth and it's still, we're very hesitant to put our trust in Him. So slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And these were disciples of Jesus and surely they were familiar with the scriptures and all the promises that had come to fruition in Jesus. Centuries of the promises of God finally come to fruition. They've actually happened just the way the prophets always promised. And these guys are moping. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? Now, let me tell you, as Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem, three times he told his disciples, when we get to Jerusalem, I am going to be flogged, I am going to be crucified, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. Three times he told them this. And Jesus says, what do I have to do for you guys to just believe me? Why that Sunday morning were the only people who showed up, people who showed up to decorate his dead body? Why weren't all the disciples there waiting to see their risen Lord? Not a one of them was expecting that, even though he had told them. 
That's what he was doing. And I'm sure they did what we tend to do. If it sounds too outrageous, we think he's being metaphorical. It's some kind of an allegory. It's, uh, you know, uh, he will live on in our memories or something like that. No, he literally meant on the third day, I am getting out of that tomb. In fact, this was the only way the Christ could accomplish what had been promised. The only way he could establish himself as the one who defeats all the forces of evil and sin and death itself. Because our problem is not this or that oppressive regime. Our problem is not that we have a bad president or a bad governor or a bad king, whatever nation we may be in. Our problem is not who's in charge. Our problem is that we are all tainted by sin. And we all are bent towards selfish patterns of living. And because of that, anytime any of us gets any amount of power, we abuse it. That's why every government has problems. Every system has problems because it's made up by people like you and me. We're the problem. So the only way the Christ could fix the problem wasn't just to come in and become the new Caesar, set up a new government, He had to attack the problem at its root, and the problem at its root is sin. It's that thing in our heart that spits in the face of God and says, No, God, I will not be the creature. I will be God. I will not follow where you lead. I will not share uh, my life uh, with you and follow where you lead as creator. I will be independent and do my own thing, and God, you can do my bidding. How do you fix that problem? Well, you fix it by being the only perfect sacrifice for sin. God himself became a man and willingly went to the cross. And even though the offense of sin is an offense against God before it's an offense against anybody else, the one we have offended is the one who gave us life. God himself then was in the, the only one in the position to say, I will take upon myself the burden of punishment for your fault. So the innocent one took on the sins of the world. And only Jesus could do it because only being God, only God could say, I will forgive the offense against myself. He had to suffer before he could enter into the promised glory, before he could rise and become king of kings as he told his disciples upon his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Christ establishes himself as absolute rightful ruler of all creation at the cross. Was it not necessary? I wonder about this our slowness of heart to believe. I look back at the phrase, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Isn't that often where we get sideways with God? I had hoped that Jesus would uh, give me that job. I had hoped that Jesus would uh, save my marriage. I had hoped that Jesus would never let anything bad happen to my children. I had hoped. 
And when life doesn't turn out the way we had hoped, we say, I guess we were wrong. I guess I shouldn't have trusted in Jesus. When the problem isn't that Jesus isn't doing exactly what he said he'd do. The problem is that we want him to do what we want him to do in our lives. Sometimes that process of rescue and life eternal that God is up to in our hearts, is there's no other way for God to do it than through pain, than through suffering. Sometimes that's the only path to glory, as in the case of Christ himself. The cross was the only path to that glory. Sometimes in our lives it works the same way, and our problem is that we are slow, slow, slow to believe. We don't want to trust. And the minute God doesn't do exactly what we wanted him to do, we say he failed. But that's not the truth. God does not fail. But the only way we receive what he's promised us is to surrender our lives to what he's up to. To let him be God. To let him be the one who has given us the breath of life for the purposes he had in mind when he gave us life. And when we can enter into that eternal living if we stop being so slow of heart. Talking about this path to glory through suffering, the author of Hebrews describes it well. Talking about Jesus, he says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. You remember in Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So we're told in this walk, Jesus with Cleopas and and his partner, uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. And here's what we need to understand about the Bible. It's all centered around Jesus because he is the one who unlocks the promises of the whole book or the whole collection of books. And he is the one being the author himself of this book. He is the one who can help us rightly understand it. And let me tell you about the Bible. It is not a simple book. Don't let anybody ever tell you that. Life is complicated and God is glorious and grand and far beyond anything we can comprehend. So the book he gives us is not simple. It's as complicated as life itself. But his spirit guides us through it and brings life as we read it. They're getting near that village where they were going, and Jesus doesn't presume to impose on them. He, as you would expect, he just was somebody who walked beside them along the road. He's going to continue on 
<coughs> but they say, no, stop, come, come in. And we can see that a lot in the Bible. It was in the culture of the ancient Near East. Hospitality was a very important virtue. And the day is getting late, and it's dangerous to walk around in the dark because you can be assaulted, people can steal from you. So stay with us, spend the night. So he goes in. And then he does something that normally a guest would not do. He acts like he's the host. He actually takes the bread, blesses it, and breaks it, as he had done so many times before. It's in that moment that God allows them to perceive who, who he is, and they recognize it's Jesus. Again, some artists paint Jesus with like a little hood and like that's going to keep somebody from recognizing somebody they know personally when they spend a whole day talking to him. Uh, no, there was something miraculous about their inability to perceive who he was, but that moment when he breaks the bread, uh, they, their eyes are opened and they're able to recognize who he is, and then as soon as he appears in their lives, he's gone. You might think, okay, well, it was a hallucination. It was a, a spirit. How do spirits break bread? Uh, so Luke gives us that detail. It wasn't an apparition. It wasn't a hallucination. Jesus was there with them and then he wasn't. I love their response. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? This is the beauty of Jesus. He invites us into this life and as he opens our eyes and our hearts and our understanding to his word, something happens in our souls. Something happens deep within and we are, are awakened. I am fully convinced that the Bible is the word of God. You know why I say that? Not because of dogma. Not because the church has it in some creed. I believe it because when I read these words, on many, many occasions in my life, God has spoken to my soul. And I have been transformed by the experience of being exposed to the message contained in this book. And I can say, I have had the experience that they say, my heart burns within at the activity of God in his words as he opened to us the scriptures. You know what they did? It was already late. They got up right then and they marched all the way back to Jerusalem, all seven miles, and I'm sure they did it a lot quicker going back than they did coming out. They got there by the evening and uh, they find the other disciples saying, the Lord is risen, and they're like, well, yeah, no, no surprise there. Yeah, of course, we spent all day walking with him. They shared their own encounter with Christ. We all have these kind of stories. We who have encountered Christ and allowed our hearts to be kindled and have gone from a slow heart that rejects faith to a kindled heart alive and awake to what God is up to. God is at work in the world and he is working out an eternal redemption across the globe right now and he is drawing in people from every tribe, tongue, language and nation and he is drawing us into one eternal family and he is transforming hearts across the globe. 
I'd say. For most of us, our approach to Jesus probably tracks well with that of Cleopas and his companion. We hear some really great things about Jesus. We're drawn in. Somehow we manage to ignore the things he's saying that we don't want to hear. Things like suffering. Things like cross. We walk along nurturing our own expectations of Jesus until suddenly he does something we did not expect. Something we didn't want. And we may decide at that point we made a mistake. We shouldn't have trusted him. Our hearts are slow to have faith. But if we will open ourselves up to faith, if we will open ourselves up to utter surrender, complete dependence, trust without reservation, we will find the very fire of life burning within us. We find that the Bible comes alive with that same fire and that same life. And we will burn with passion for Jesus and for anything and everything he has in store for us. My question to you this morning is, have you opened up your heart to faith in Jesus? Have you allowed yourself to be taken from slow to ablaze? We're going to sing one more song. And I believe, I firmly believe that the Word of God is not here just simply to give us information. It's not simply here to uh, help us understand something. <laughs> the Word of God is always a conversation. And in His Word, God always calls to us to respond. So we try in our services to have an opportunity for you to respond. We're going to have some people stand here on either side. If y'all would come forward at this time, please. We'll have a couple of people on this side and a couple of people on this side of the stage. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. And as we're singing the song, this is your time to respond. Let me uh, give you a couple of ideas of ways in which God might be talking to you this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're one of those slow hearts. And you want to find out what it's like to have a heart on fire. I want to invite you to come today and just, to either side, just tell them, I, I want Jesus to take my life and, and turn my heart on fire. And let them uh, guide you through, through praying and, and talking to Jesus. Maybe you already know Jesus and you've been reminded today of something that has not been right in your walk with him. And you need to come and, and let him know, I, I'm sorry for the ways in which I have not been following you as I should. And you want to recommit yourself. Whatever God lays on your heart, come and share. And the people here, uh, there's nothing magical about it. They're just people like you and me. Uh, they're just here to pray with you and encourage you. Take advantage of this opportunity. Let's all stand. Please come while we sing.